This morning we begin uh, our series through Jude, as I stated earlier, looking at a 25-verse letter. And I want to read all 25 verses for us this morning. But before I do, most of our time is going to be focused on the first seven verses. And there are three thoughts that I want to get in front of you, get in front of us this morning on those seven verses. And so I will uh, name those and then we will read and we'll kind of unpack those thoughts this morning. The first thought is this, that this letter, these 25 verses that were written almost 2,000 years ago, they were addressed to you. That's who they, they were addressed to. They, they were addressed to you, and I believe we will see that in just a few moments, but uh, this letter is addressed to you. A second thought that we're going to look at this morning, that the purpose of this letter is clearly given the reason why Jude wrote the letter is clearly stated and given for us. And then finally, this morning, I hope that we get this thought. That there is a reminder for all of us. There is a reminder, and with that reminder, there is a warning given. So let's read these verses, and we'll see those thoughts Hopefully this morning. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, beloved in God, the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary what a word. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Anybody see where I got the title? Contending for the faith? Very creative. Let's get back to being serious. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people, verse 4 states, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment on that great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. 
But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in a way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars. What examples here? Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, that he prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment on all, to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters. Showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to Him who is able to keep you, Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a letter. That you have sent us. Father, what weight in short form in front of us these days. Father, for every man, for every woman, for every boy, every girl that is in this room today. Would you allow your spirit. To confront us with your word. May we see clearly 
this message that you have sent to every single one of us. To those who know you, who have bowed the knee, who have confessed with their mouth, who have given their lives to you. And also, Father, those in this place that don't know you. That have never bowed the knee. God, would you show us exactly where we are, where we stand with you? Would we see these thoughts in these opening verses of this letter be challenged this morning, be convicted this morning? Ultimately, Father, I pray that we would be drawn closer to you. Lord, that I and that River Bend would live differently because we have experienced you. We have encountered you this morning, afresh and anew. God, you work. Holy Spirit, would you penetrate our hearts and our lives in these moments and draw us closer to our Father. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 25 verses written by a man by the name of Jude. He is not well known outside of this letter. He describes himself in two ways. He describes himself first as a servant of Christ, and then he describes himself as the brother of James. Which James? There were multiple Jameses in the New Testament, so which one? Well, if you take both of those things, that he is a servant of Christ and he is the brother of James, his name is Jude, he is the half-brother as well as James being the half-brother of Jesus himself. Jude is the second son of Joseph and of Mary, and he did not know Jesus as Savior and Lord until after Jesus died on the cross, until after he rose from the dead, and in between those days, those 40 days, between the time that he um, rose from the grave and the time that he ascended back to the Father, Jesus spoke with him, he spoke with James, it is spoken of in Acts, and also as Paul wrote to the folks in Corinth, he spoke about this, that Jesus came and spoke with these and they believed. And after believing, he became a leader in the church, namely the church in Jerusalem. And he is writing a letter to you. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, and here's who he is addressing this letter to. To those who are called. To those who are beloved in God the Father. And those who are kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. The letter is addressed to you. Which you? You. Those of you in this section who have bowed the knee, 
Those of you who in this section, young and old, who have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, those of you in this section who are saved, and those of you in this section and in this section who are the same, for those of us who are called, this is God reaching out to you and reaching out to me and stating this. Hey, Brian, you don't deserve it, but I love you. There's nothing that you can do, Brian, to to make me love you more, to make me love you less. I love you. And here's how I have shown my love to you. I have demonstrated it to every single one of us through Jesus coming and dying a death that he did not deserve, dying a death that you and I deserve, taking our place to those who are called, to those who are Christians, to those beloved in God the Father. And then there's this word, kept. Numerous times people have come up to me or a conversation has been started by me or by them and we talk about spiritual matters and we say, And they say, you know what, I I got saved again. And I say, probably not. No, I did. I I, I made a decision, I got saved when I was young, but but I got saved again. And I'm like, nope, you can only get saved once. Those who are called... Beloved in God the Father, and those who are called, they are also kept for Jesus Christ. Those who have been saved are, as John wrote it in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, it states that we are in Jesus' hand, and He is in the Father's, and nothing or no one can take us out of His hand. Everything is encapsulated in nothing and no one. Satan can't take you out, he's encapsulated in no one. You can't take you out. You are encapsulated in no one. Nothing. There's no circumstance. There's no situation. There's no decision that you make. If you are in Christ, if you are saved, you are in His hand and He is in the Father's hands and nothing or no one can take you out of that place. You're kept. And so the question then arises or the difficulty with this understanding is this. You and I think that we did something to get ourselves saved. And because we think we did something to get ourselves saved, we think that we can do something to get ourselves unsaved. And that is not right. Because you didn't do anything to get yourself saved. I did not do anything to get myself saved. Jesus did everything to save me, to save us. He did it, He died. He paid the price. He was the mediator between God and man, between a perfect and holy God and a bunch of selfish, sinful, fully depraved men and women. He was the mediator, and he did all the work. And because he did all the work, he can keep you. And he is keeping you. And he is keeping me. We are kept for Christ. Kept for Christ. There is this picture. It's only a book away 
But if you were to read the book of Revelation toward the end of the book, something happens toward the end of the book. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it is where His bride, us, those who are called, those who are Christians, where we will be married to Him in a huge celebration forever and ever and ever. And that's what He's keeping us for. He is keeping us for that moment. For that covenant that He has promised us. So the first thought is this, that you and I, as Believers in Christ, we are the ones addressed here. Well, how does he describe us? Look, verse number 3. Beloved. Although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Back up to verse 2. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. And then verse 3 starts as that, beloved. And we'll get to the end of verse 3 in just a second with our second thought. But here's how he describes us. He describes you and me as ones who are loved. We just sing it. I heard you sing it. Now, they were leading us up on stage, but I was so thankful that you sang out. You sang out louder on that song than you did on any other song. Maybe it was because you knew it more. I don't know. But you sang out that he's a good, good father, and he is. And you sang out that you were loved by him, and you are. And I pray that it's more than words. I say that often. I pray that it's more than words, but it actually sinks in deep into you and to me that we understand that He loves us, that we are in great standing with Him as His son and His daughter, and that there's nothing, nothing that can separate us from Him. We're His. May mercy. What is the word mercy? Micah chapter 6, verse 8 states this. He's told you, O man. He's told us what's good. He's told us how we are to live. He's told us what does the Lord require of you. But this, to do justice and to love kindness. That's the word mercy. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. How you and I are to live out every single day is that. We're to do what's right. We're to love others, show mercy, and we are to walk humbly before Almighty God. It is to show kindness. Mercy is to show kindness. It is to show compassion for someone in serious need. Think about that definition. This past week, this past week, did you come across somebody who was in serious need? Think for a second. Did I, did I come across somebody in serious need? And how did I respond to him when I did? God commands you and he commands me to show mercy to him. To show kindness and compassion 
to those that are in serious need. Then he says this, may peace, not just mercy, but may peace and love be multiplied to you. What is peace? Peace is this, it's being set in favorable circumstances. It is tranquility. There is a harmony of relationships. It's like this, ladies. I'm giving you the illustration. Um, it's like that advertiser of yesteryear. I haven't seen it lately, but maybe I'm just watching different shows. It's like Calgon, take me away. That moment where you're just sitting there and there is no other care, no other worry, no other thought in your mind. You are at peace. Jude is asking that that be a characteristic, an attribute in your life and in my life. And then that of love. The word is agape. Sacrificial. Unconditional. It's giving. It's selfless. It is sincere appreciation. Love, may it be multiplied to you. And that is who he is writing this letter to. Attributes of you and attributes of me. May, may mercy and peace and love, may they be multiplied to you, beloved. But then we get to the purpose of the letter. And I love how he starts this out in verse 3. Let me read verse 3 for us again. He says this, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about rainbows and roses and everything that was warm and fuzzy, no, he says what I wanted to write to you about was this common salvation. I wanted to write to you about a, a little devotional just to help you along your way, just to give you a good thought for the day. That's what I wanted. But, <laughs> I found it necessary. Oh, brothers and sisters, today, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. These people long ago were designated for this condemnation. They were ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted to write to you a nice devotional, but I've got to write to you a military order is what he's saying. It's necessary for you and for me to hear this statement. I am appealing to you River Bend, Jude is stating, I am appealing to you that you would contend for the faith. 
Last night something happened that hasn't happened in a number of years because all the money is in pay-per-view these days, but there was a fight, a championship fight on cable. It was on ESPN. It happened in Australia in the middle of the day so that it could be aired in the evening time in the States, but there was an undercard and then there was a major championship bout, a fight between two individuals. And they went to blows and they went back and forth, back and forth, and they went to blows and then finally everybody was caught unaware that the champion was defeated by unanimous decision. You can go read about it in any website that's devoted to that, but the reason I tell you that is this, that there were two fighters in the ring and they were contending against each other. They were contending and they were trying to put their will on the other person. They were boxing, they were counter-punching, they were punching, they were trying to knock the other out, hit blows, land punches to win the fight. That picture is what Jude is stating for you and for me. Contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. What's the faith? What is the faith that we are to be fighting for? What is it in you? What is it in me? What is this thing called faith that we're to be fighting for? I believe over the next few weeks, as we walk through the rest of the letter, we will see elements of this faith. But the faith is this. If it's nothing else, the faith is this. As Jude is trying to get across to those who are Christ. Who are Christians. He's saying this. It is your relationship with your Lord. It's your relationship with your Lord. You entered, in, you entered into this relationship by bowing the knee, by confessing with your mouth, by believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. And that's the beginning of this relationship. You and I think that oftentimes we may think that it's the, it's the finish line. No, that is the beginning of the relationship. Every single moment of every single day after that, you and I are to be growing closer and closer and closer to Him. Contend for the faith. And this faith was once for all, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus delivered to the saints. You, me, brothers and sisters in Christ. And now there have come those who want that. Contending want that relationship to cease. They can't make the relationship cease, but they can sure block the fellowship. I don't know if you've ever read, but C.S. Lewis put out a great little book. Screw tape letters. Great book. To get you to think about how Satan comes at you. 
He comes from the, from the other side. He comes from the enemy's side, i.e. the demon side. And they are trying their best to keep this one guy from being saved. But once he is saved, they get to him and say, All right, hey, we can't stop the relationship. He's God's, but we can stop the fellowship. And here's, what, here's how. And it is an awesome example, an eye-opening example, I would add, to how Satan comes after you, after you and after me. But these people have crept in. Continue there in verse number 4. Certain people have crept in. They've come in unnoticed. They've long ago been designated for condemnation. They've long ago been designated for a judgment that is to come. Because they are the ones who have perverted the grace of God They've made it out into sensuality. They deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And he's writing to stop their advance. Before we get to a third and final thought, let me tell you about these people. These people aren't your average run-of-the-mill folks who are what we would call today agnostics. Who are agnostics? Agnostics are those who, they don't know if there is a God, but even if there is a God, he put this whole place into, into, uh, into order, and then he's taking his hands off. That's not who he's talking about here. He's not even talking about, Jews not even talking about those who call, them, call themselves um, not agnostics, but atheists who say there is no way that there is a God. He's not talking about them. We have a score of those types of people. We have all kinds of folks who are atheists or agnostics. No, here's who he's describing. The description here is the person or persons who are militant and who are standing up and they're yelling, they're proclaiming that God and His ways are absolutely wrong. Peter Davids in his commentary on this letter states this, Jude makes a series of four charges about these people. First, the Scripture condemns them. Do you see that there? For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They, the Scriptures condemn them. They are godless and impious. Third, not only does Scripture condemn them and that they're godless and impious. Third, they change God's grace into a license for immorality. They say this. These folks say, hey, it really doesn't matter how you live, River Bend. You, you can live this week however you want to because God's God. He's got grace for you, so go do whatever you want to do. Whatever makes you feel good, have at it. And the reason they say that is because they know that stops your fellowship with you and the Father. When you and I sin, that doesn't break the relationship we're still his son, we're still his daughter, but there is no fellowship when you and I are in sin. And they say, these types of people who have crept into the church, they say, hey, just go do whatever you want. Whatever makes you feel good, have at it. Finally, the fourth argument, or the fourth charge that 
David states that Jude brings up is this, that they deny, they deny that Jesus Christ is our only sovereign, our only master, our only Lord. He then goes on and describes it this way. The second charge, the second charge, they are godless and impious. The second charge is that they are godless. The term here denotes a moral outrage against a deity, i.e. God. A moral outrage against a deity or deities in the case of the Greek city-state rather than disbelief in the deity. Do you see a correlation of the days that you live? The culture that you find yourself in? The culture that I find myself in? It's not just, hey, if you want to believe that, you go ahead and believe that. No, there is militant disagreement squashing the belief that Christ is Savior and Christ is Lord by our culture. So Jude is writing to you and he's writing to me and a final thought this morning comes from verses 5 through 7. It's a reminder. And he says it this way. Now I want to remind you, church, although you once fully knew it, let me just remind you that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, all the way back into the Old Testament, Jude says, I want to remind you folks that Jesus saved a whole group of people. Some two million people. He saved them out of slavery, out of bondage, out of Egypt. And he had a place for them. It was called the promised land. And those who didn't believe, they died in the wilderness. And just to drive home the example, he moves from a people to angels. Look how he describes these angels. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, these angels left their proper dwelling. He, Christ, has kept. He's got a hold of them. He's bound them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until a moment, until the judgment of the great day. So, you got to go to Isaiah chapter 11. If you look in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 10 through 14, you see where Satan himself fell out of heaven, and with him a third of the angels decided to follow him instead of following after God. And that third of the angels, Jesus, has placed them in eternal chains until the great day of judgment. And he has them in place until he creates a lake of fire until He creates the final judgment spot called hell. And in that moment, that great day of judgment, He will cast them along with Lucifer into that eternal place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. But until then, He has them bound. In chains, under gloomy darkness, until the judgment of that great day. And just to bring home, to make it a little more clearer to the folks that he's writing to, to you and to me as well, 
he gives this example, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. It's not just those two that were off doing what they thought was right in their own eyes, that hail and fire and brimstone came down on top of them that day in Genesis. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, which indulged in the pursuit of unnatural desire, they serve as an example for you and for me by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. I don't know how many times you have stated it. I don't know how many times I've stated it. Lord, if you'll just show me what you want me to do, I'll do it. Just show me what you want me to do, I'll do it. Jude chapter 1, which there's only one chapter. Jude 1 through 7 says, hey, here's the letter that's for you. Hey, wake up, River Bend. Hey, Brian, think about this. Here's who you are. Here's what I'm charging, commanding you to do. Here's who you need to pay close attention to. This type of people, you better watch out. Because they have crept in unnoticed. And here's the example and the reminder, just in case you have forgotten. There's judgment coming. There's judgment coming. There should be an urgency from you and from me. Because there is a day. We don't know when that day is, church. But there is a day set aside for a great judgment. And every single person who does not know the Savior will spend eternity away from it. Father, we come this morning being reminded of the urgency that you have set in front of us. God, we come Father, first of all, we need to come confessing that we specific moments, yes, but times just from one day to the next because we've grown so accustomed, Lord. I have grown so accustomed to being in this world that I have allowed the world to dull me to the mission that you have commanded me to be a part of. That you have commanded us to finish the task. To contend for the faith. To be salt and light, Father, every single day. God, thank you for the book of Jude. Lord, it, it's... Jude wanted you... You wrote it. You gave it to him to write. He wanted to write a nice devotional. And Lord, we like to hear nice devotionals. But Father, may it come across that there is a military action for every single one of us to be a part of, to get in the fight, 
that you desire none to perish, but all to have eternal life. And the only way that they can have that is if they hear about your Son. They hear about your Son at the workplace that you take us to. They hear about your Son, Jesus, in the homes that we go home to. The neighbors that we speak with. The community that we are a part of. God, may we catch the urgency that you are commanding your people to be in the fight. Whatever God is asking for you to do this morning as we come to a time of response, allow Him to work. Allow Him to move, church. Maybe that is to stay seated and and you keep your head bowed and you're just crying out to Him, Lord, I'm coming back to You. Do that. Maybe it's to stand and and sing with us as we're going to sing a a revelation song and we're going to sing in the the glory that He has done and what He is going to do as He reveals Himself on that day. Maybe it's to come forward and bow physically, literally. Father, whatever it is, You work in the hearts of these, Your your creation, these, Your sons and Your daughters, These, all of us, Father, that You desire to be a part of Your family. Father, would You work? I ask it in Christ's name. Stand with us and join with us as we sing.